Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It is the re-debut of a show that I had artwork created for, I had logos and graphics created for, and then I had no idea what to do with it. Observe This is back, and I think we figured out the way to do Observe This. With me is my buddy, Brandon Draven, and what we're going to do here is monthly, we're going to go through the year of 1989 with our main reference point being Dave Meltzer's uh, Observer book that just came out a couple months ago. For the first time, we've actually have full observers in a book, uh, in a book form. And this is also observers that have never really been available online. I mean, some people have copies of them that have been scanned mm-hmm. and passed around but uh, 1989 which is a really fun year and this is kind of this is an interesting thing because before we even started we were talking about this which is art versus commerce in a sense and the nwa ted turner like the the diehard pro wrestling fans loved this year for the for for flair and funk and flair and steamboat but you know who didn't love it? I'm sure Turner didn't love it because it wasn't bringing in the bucks. And on the <laughs> other side, WWE, WWF at the time is is just printing money from the mega powers exploding from, from Hogan. The luster. Yeah, exactly from <laughs> the luster. Uh, so before we actually get into this, I have a question for you as it relates to 1989. You're younger than me, so you're like a really young fan. Are you even dialed in to wrestling in 1989? Yeah, yeah. By this point, I was I was dialed into both companies. Um, I think I've shared before where you know I I grew up. I was introduced to the NWA first, and then I've discovered WWF at the time. But by this point, I was I was all in. Uh, 1989, I was watching both programs um, on syndication because we didn't have cable yet. Um, and yeah, that, that Savage Hogan feud that, like you said, it was the license to print money. And I also think, was that the, the, the pay-per-view and we'll get to it more when we talk about around April, when we talk about WrestleMania five, Yeah, where Gorilla Monsoon magically discovered that machine that tells him the buy rate right live. On- <laughs> Remember that? Yes. He, he gets, he gets word. He's like, I just been given work that this is the, the biggest uh, pay-per-view in the universe. <laughs> um, Gino was a character, man. And we're gonna I'm gonna show a lot of love for Gino on this on this uh podcast or, or this video here. Cause when uh, when we get to the rumble, like it was like my childhood came back listening to Gorilla and Jesse Bicker. And Jesse did not mind getting one up on Gorilla for saying something that was ridiculous or or, or silly. Oh, he loved doing do that all the time because the thing about gorilla was that he lived that character lived 
inside the bubble of the WWF. Nothing happened with that character outside of that bubble. Yeah. If if somebody from the end, like like for example, like IRS was always like a deranged like tax accountant. He was never like Mike Rotunda from Rochester. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while, the world would collide and it would completely blow his mind. <laughs> like like when Jim Ross came over uh, in the 90s. And Jim Ross, as we'll get to, was like the whole football stats guy and everything. Yeah. Once in a while, he'll throw Gino a curveball. And he <laughs> Gorilla couldn't get out of it. His mind could not comprehend that, that IRS is not like a deranged tackle <laughs> who wrestles part-time. Yeah. You know he, he, he went to Syracuse and on a football scholarship oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, right. yeah. And so, and so that's how it was. You know, I remember he would always call Hogan the greatest sports athlete in the world. Um, even though that was a complete lie, you know, you off the top of your head, you could name five that were better than him. Yeah. Um, but in his world, that didn't matter, you know? Um, yes. yeah. So anyways, we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to it. But yeah. And the reason why I asked you is because, you know, one of the things that I've been enjoying about digging through the archives. So, uh, John LaRocca and I, we went through 97, uh, Monday night raw, which was really fun. Because and the other thing that was really fun about that is there there was a lot of stuff that I missed in 1997 because I was in college, you know I was tw- oh, you know I was 20 so I wasn't sitting there on Monday night all the time you know ready for for Raw to come on, and then we went through 98 which I did see most of like I'm sure there were even everyone else at that by that point it was so popular but then we even jumped backwards and we we saw we we did uh, WCW 96 we did all the nitros. And again, sort of like Raw 97, I, I remember a lot of it, but it's it was clear to me that I didn't see all of that stuff. So it was kind of like first run in a sense. But this stuff, I mean, I remember all of it because it's like my childhood. So it's it's kind of different in that now I'm looking at it through a different lens, which is just the knowledge that I have of pro wrestling and the business. And so reading The Observers is fascinating because – so it, it makes sense of things that I saw as a kid and maybe was like, why did it work that way? Like, why did they do that? So that that's, I think, going to be my learnings for doing this show with you. But I'm really excited. And so we were trying to get you hooked up on the mic. It wasn't working. So you're using your phone. Thank God for the phone. Great. Uh, a great plan B. Uh, so just for the folks who who may think that the sound is a little different coming from me and you, that is why. Yeah. Uh, but. Let's actually kick this off. So what I did was I went back a little bit because a couple of days prior to 1989, and this is really where Dave's first issue of the year starts, is a Starcade 88. And Starcade 88 is a pretty fun show. And I think most wrestling fans would remember the main event, which was Lex Luger and Ric Flair. Uh, I would, you know, that was a that was a good match. Uh, but at, right at this time, like the business is changing for WCW because or NWA wasn't even WCW yet. Uh, Crockett is out of the business, and now it's now it's Ted Turner who is the owner of the company, and we'll see the transition to WCW. It's not called WCW quite yet, mm-hmm. but you know now you have a national person as the the guy who owns the business and all the old like the old guys who were crockett guys 
you know, some of those guys are not going to be uh, the same. They're not going to have the same jobs necessarily. And when I was reminded, because I was talking to Big Dave, we were actually watching the Tokyo Dome show uh, at his house late in, in, in the early morning. Uh, and he was like, oh, you mean the show in which Ric Flair was supposed to get beat by Rick Steiner in six minutes? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And if you remember, uh, Dusty's Dusty and Rick were not necessarily getting along. And Dusty's solution was to beat Ric Flair with Rick Steiner and kind of do it in a squash and take mm. that title off of Rick because there was a bit of a power struggle and lo and behold, the power struggle is not a power struggle because Ted picks Rick and Dusty is kind of persona non grata from here on out. So this is like Starcade 88. It is really like say goodbye to Dusty Rhodes. Uh, that, that's what the show kind of means, like in hindsight to me. Um, neither of us were that dialed in back then, yep. but the idea that Dusty wanted to show his power by beating the top guy. The reason why Ted Turner bought the company <laughs> wanted to beat this dude in six minutes with Rick Steiner, who actually was fighting for the, uh, the TV title on, on this show. Do you mm -hmm. have, yeah, we're going to get, that was an incredible angle, by the way, the, the varsity club explodes was huge at that time. And that's an angle that that's been done to death, right? The, uh, the you know the big boss kind of punking out like like the the underling you know we you, we saw it later on with Virgil which also got over huge I mean we've seen it throughout the years I think the last one would probably be like Warlow with MJF you know that 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 angle always gets over yeah you know, the, the subservient guy with the with the guy that the, the guy with the money guy that's kind of punking him out and sure enough with the varsity club angle it worked and man that pop I mean that was a, that was a road warrior pop yeah there was one. That, that that it was the crowd desperately hoping that Rick Steiner wins that match, but they weren't sure that it was going to happen. So when it did happen, they were like on fire. But, you know, just the idea like you've been in positions, it, whether it's in work or in um, friend groups or whatever, but just the idea, Dusty, like Dusty couldn't have thought that he was going to work Ted Turner into this idea that, you know, this is really Dusty Rhodes time and not Nature Boy Ric Flair time. Yeah, well, I think it was more like, it wasn't about it being Dusty. I mean, he was always trying to push himself. Um, but but the idea, I think, more was that it wasn't Ric Flair's time. Right. And so I think the, the, the real victim in all this was Lex Luger because Lex Luger was the one that was promised the title through all, through all of 88. And, and, and it was always a power struggle starting early in the year, um, even before Crockett, uh, I mean, Ted Turner bought the company. Um, so it was, Dusty had been trying to put the title on Luger forever. Now, who knows? Maybe maybe Dusty's plan was to put it on Luger and then he'll take it from Luger. Who knows with <laughs> Dusty, you know? But, but, but I, don't, I, I don't think, I, I don't think it was always, um, I don't think Dusty gave the impression that it was still his time. Whether or not he thought that and was trying to politic that later on, who knows? We'll never know. But his whole thing was like, Ric Flair's too old. Yeah. And, and and we have to take the belt from him and put him on a younger, on Lex Luger, who's a younger guy. Um, and and that power struggle went through all, all of 88. And the one that could never get the, the representation of that power struggle was Lex Luger. Because he was always put in these positions as a babyface to win 
it would get vetoed and then he wouldn't win. And that became the Luger effect, which kind of carried on to other pushes throughout the years. You know, I think later on, Roman Reigns, that happened to him when he was that babyface coming up as well and just continuously failing. So, so that just became kind of like something you don't do in booking. You know, when you study booking, you don't build up a baby face and have them fail time after time because then the crowd turns on them or they stop believing in him. And and Luger never really recovered. And, well, ironically... and, and it happens again in WWF. Yes, I was going to say, so ironically, 93, it happens again and he yes. never recovers from that. Now that one, but that one was more, Luger's heart wasn't in it anymore at that point. So it's, I feel like Vince made the right decision there. Um, but yeah, here you see that power struggle all year. Dusty doesn't get fired. He actually quits. He quits yes. he quits in late January or mid-January because um, he has a program with the Road Warriors at this time, and he kind of just bails on them. Um, and he ends up going to Florida. And he, you know, he 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 buys the remnants of Florida. Well, he he buys into the remnants of Florida Championship Wrestling. Now, spoiler alert, that ends up completely failing. Yeah. And he loses a shitload of money. And then that's when Vince hires him just to humiliate him and fire him later on. Yeah. So, so, and, and, and there's another uh, misconception that Dusty was always in control during his WWF run. That is not true at all. Right after the Royal Rumble, when, when Dustin lost, Dusty Doss lost to Ted DiBiase and Virgil, I believe, Vince just fired him. He's like, you're fired. And then thankfully he had a deal waiting for him back in WCW and he ended up showing up at that Clash of the Champions like a week later, which was weird. Um, but going back to Dusty, I was always a Dusty guy. When I saw yeah. Dusty show up in WWF, I was so happy and excited. As a little kid, like, because I was at this point, I was nine. I was eight, eight years old because my birthday is in November. So, um, so, yeah, so I was about eight. I didn't really quite comprehend why he was like a clown in the WWF. Like, like he was kind of like, but I didn't care because Dusty's so charismatic that it still won me over. And I remember Dusty. So I'm like, yeah, he's in the WWF now. So, so with me, I was never a Hulkamaniac. Never, ne never ate, drank the Kool-Aid for Hulkamania. I was always, believe it or not, and this is always weird. I always gravitated towards Bret Hart when I had no reason to because he was a tag team guy. Yeah. But there was something cool about him always, you know? And then when Dusty came into the WWF, he became my favorite because he was the guy that I really liked in the NWA. And then I went back to Bret when Dusty left. But, um... But yeah, so 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 the business is changing there, and 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 Jim Hurd had not been hired yet. You know, they they're looking for a booking team because Dave makes a thing about um in the January issues of the first couple of weeks where they don't have a booking team yet. So they're looking for people. Um, to me, the the thing that 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 um the people in the NWA never saw is that they had something going. They, there was momentum. What it was is with all these dusty finishes, it really fucked up the territory. But they did have a winning formula because if you do the research, you'll see that even, even in late 88, they still had a good handle on a lot of these cities and towns. Like Baltimore, for example. Baltimore was a huge NWA town, you know? And, of course, they had all the mid-Atlantic area. So I think when Jim Hurd came in, his whole thing was like, we got to them. And then he, he he tried to make it into the clown show that the WWF was. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen throughout the years, to this day, there's you can't out WWE WWE. You just can't do no. it. You have to bring you have to come up with your own shit, you know? Which is what Tony Khan had in the early days. He's struggling with it a little bit now, but he's still he's still staying the course, which is I which I think is good. Um 
so yeah, so so I think Jim Hurd, the biggest mistake he made was just kind of completely switching directions and and going towards a more cartoony like uh, uh, presentation. You know, had he stayed the course of '88, I think they would with better booking. I think they would have been able to rebound. By the way, when Dusty comes back, it gets even more cartoonish in WCW. Yeah, they bring in Johnny B. Bad and Oz. Big Josh. Big Josh with the two bears. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about... Uh, we'll, we'll go to the WWE side here. Though I, I, I will say, like, Dave used to do this in the Observer, which is like, oh, it's a new year, so where do, where do we sort of sit in the new year? Let's reset and get everyone you know on the same page here. And so he looks back and and he kind of talks about where the big five are. The big five being WWF, Turner, World Class, CWA, AWA. He also talks a little bit about Oregon and Stampede. And it's not great, right? Well, well, he, well first of all, he's a little sad because I believe a year later it was the big 12. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then somehow throughout 88, it just it, it became the big five. <laughs> and, and let me think about this. In 90, I think they're all still around. Except for the AWA. I think the AWA is literally on its like last legs at that point. And the AWA is not far off from they did the Super Clash show with Carrie and uh, Jimmy uh, Jerry Lawler. And the thing about that is, you know, the lesson in that show is whenever these companies try and work together, it, it never ends well. And, and so, you know, Jerry has like this combined championship and he has the AWA belt as well. And what happens in January is they cannot figure out like who gets paid what from super clash. Like the AWA goes, well, we didn't make any money on this show, so nobody gets very anything. Carny, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, that. and so Jerry Lawler's just like, "Well, uh, here's your belt back." So we're splitting everything that we just did with the Super Class show. It's going back to what it was, and, and you know, it's going to be soon enough. It's going to be like Don Morocco and Larry Zabisco and guys like that in the in the AWA. Uh, okay, so now with WWF at the time, there's a Saturday night's main event on January the 7th mm-hmm. and the, the big match is Hogan against uh, I think, is he, yeah, I think it's a Akeem, right? It's a mm-hmm. And so, you know, normal Hogan, Akeem Saturday night main event kind of match, just, you know, a bunch of punches and kicks and uh, Hogan gets double teamed by the, the, I don't even think they were the twin towers back then yet. Not no, that, okay. Yet. So let me cut you off right there. Cause I have a, a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, it's interesting. You were talking earlier, how we retain more when we're kids, how our mm-hmm. memory seems to, and then later on as adults, we, we tend to discard a lot of important stuff, and, but everything also gets magnified when you're a kid, because yeah. I could have sworn the twin towers were around for at least two years. Yeah. 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 And, and I think now, now in hindsight, I think they were just put together for this angle and maybe a little more, right. They feuded with demolition later on, but they were really only around for like around 12 months before they did their breakup angle. Cause by WrestleMania six, they were wrestling each other. Yeah. So that's kind of weird. That's the kind of shit that really fucks with you. Like, oh God, I could have sworn this was forever. Yeah. Especially um, because they were in the Friday night, main event angle which is magnified like you said because we yeah. all remember what happened there yeah no it's a great it's a great point you know at at the point of uh for you i think you said you were you were eight, eight. i would have been 12 mm-hmm. and 
our history of watching things, you know, there was only a few, you know, there's not that much time where we're actually watching and remembering stuff. So that is magnified. And now as older folks, we have so many things going on. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, you know, I'll remember what happened in that movie, you know, in in a couple of weeks, but not sure about in a month. Uh, But so the, the angle and and this is where when you when you watch back and even I knew it at the time, but the Hogan and and Macho Man kind of alpha struggle with Hogan getting double teamed. His buddy, the Macho Man, is supposed to have his back, but Macho Man wants to show Hogan like he's like, you know, this guy's tough. I want to let him prove that he's tough. And he and Gene are watching the match like on a monitor in the back. <laughs> Like, when you say, say Gene, a smile comes to my face. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Mean Gene is like, you know, the bad guys are cheating, dude. Like, aren't you going to go help your boy? And he's like, nah, nah, he's got it. He's got it. And it, and so then Elizabeth, who is ringside with Hogan, and which, that uh, I, I, I don't know about that one. I don't know about a let it, letting that one happen. Macho Man should have said something about that one to be true to the character. Well, we know, we know in the real world, Hogan was like for years. In many, many different circumstances. Yes. You know, so. So Savage finally is like, okay, I'll come and save this guy. And and so they unite and they, you know, they do their mega powers, handshake and stuff. And, and everything <laughs> is all good. But Vince is teasing, you know, hey, we're, we're about to have this. This is a main event show on uh, in, in February. We're going to be on a Friday. And that's angle alert, right? Because the previous year, they did the same thing. I remember uh, uh, being a kid and going like February, Friday. Like, this is weird. Like, on prime time, like, what's going to happen? Something's going to happen. They did the plastic surgery angle, which later become the twin referee angle. (laughs) Yeah, the plastic surgery. (laughs) Exactly. But, like, so knowing that and knowing what happened on that show, you're telling even the young fans who don't really know what's going on, you're telling them, okay, something's going to happen, something big. And, you know, I think um, even even me at, you know, 12 years old, I, I, I knew that, you know, WrestleMania was coming and we needed a big match and, and that's kind of how things work. So, uh, but I, you know, I, I watched that Saturday night's main event and the way that they would do it where they would lead with the biggest thing. And then as the show went on, it was like, now we got to catch up on commercials and all this stuff is not important. Like Tito Santana is always wrestling in like the last match. Yeah. The Islanders. So uh, did, what, what did, I, I, were you even watching Saturday night main event at that time? Cause it was on so late. Yeah. But I mean, my parents didn't care. And, and remember since we didn't have cable, all I had was syndication and the Saturday night's uh, main events because they were on, on NBC. So, so if there was one, you bet your ass I was watching it. Cause I don't, I didn't get, I, I didn't get prime time, you know, I didn't get prime yeah. time wrestling, but at that time for the people that, you know, that are young, our younger viewers um, and listeners, um, it was a different era. So a lot of the angles were shot on syndication anyway. So primetime wrestling wasn't something that they didn't push a lot of angles on that show. Um, it was just a lot of matches from like house shows that they would tape. And now you did get the gorilla Bobby Heenan banter on primetime. Yes. yes. Like a Blu-ray box it somewhere because there's a lot of gold there. But um, so, yeah, so it was, so yeah, no, when, when Saturday's main event would come on, I was there and, and it was on a Saturday. So we got to stay up late. Um, 
But the thing with that, and I think what they understood was that, yeah, you had to put the angles on early because not everybody's going to stay till one o'clock in the morning. And I think as people are, are getting sleepier or, or, or channel surfing, or maybe they, they have to be up early in the morning, they're only going to watch the big angle. Yeah. Right. And back then, back then there was no like, re, like DV recorder or anything like that. You had to watch the actual show. And Saturday, Saturday night live would set up their show very very similar like the guests and and the big skits that think the skits that they think are going to hit those are in the first half an hour to 45 minutes so very very similarly produced and very smart by the way i i don't know if you've uh i i don't imagine that you've read this dick ebersall had uh he wrote his autobiography i was, this was probably like two years ago and so there's some stuff about vince there's some stuff about wrestling he said that the day after Saturday night's main event, Randy Savage would call him up to get the next day to ratings to see how it did. He said that Randy, <laughs> of all the people, Randy's calling up Dick Ebersol on his phone. Randy was a very intense, paranoid guy. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me no, in the least. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and and I could only imagine how much pressure he felt because from from uh, WrestleMania eighty eight to WrestleMania eighty nine, he was the top guy. So I could just imagine him very being very stressed out about these ratings. He just comes off as one of those guys that would be very interested in that. I'm yeah. surprised he didn't call Dave. <laughs> you know? Well, I, who knows what their relationship was like back then? Uh, though, you know, I did read some. Uh, you'll pop for this one. Uh, I, I found some. Maybe they were like 83, 84 observers. There's like a couple out there that I that I saw. Was that during the Observer era? Yeah, no, you know what? I don't think it was. I don't think it was at that time. But so what Dave would do is he would leave his phone number in the issue so that people could leave feedback on his machine. You know, mm-hmm. so you watch the show real time feedback from all over the U.S. And, you know, it, it's cost this much to call, you know, from these states and stuff. I and then he that. said, but then he said, please, this time, no collect calls. <laughs> no you know what used to pop me when he would talk about how and this is very very antiquated how they would send them tapes you know those little tapes yeah they would send them those like you know um uh like answering machine tapes yeah and so he would say i got tapes and uh, like when people would wish him happy birthday you know it's just it was a different world different world we've come a long way in the last 30 years yeah it's so crazy this is the story of the one As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Uh, so one other match that I, I kind of was interested in this main event is uh, the Ultimate Warrior and the Honky Tonk Man. The Anabolic Warrior. The Anabolic Warrior. And this match was, so I think this is like their first televised match since Summer Warrior Slam. won at SummerSlam. Yeah. And just Jesse the Body had this statement. And I was kind of wondering, like I didn't even do the research. I should have looked. Jesse said, that this match could be sort of historic 
Because if Honky Tonk Man won and he re-won the Intercontinental title, he'd be the first guy ever in the history to win the title for a second time. Was that true in 1989? No, I think uh, Don Morocco won it twice. Okay. I was thinking Morocco or or possibly Santana, but Santana it didn't won, sound... Santana got a quickie. He got a quickie. So he was technically twice. Yeah. Um. So there was two. Yeah. Off the hop is yeah. Jesse the Mind Ventura was full of shit on this one. Yeah, he was wrong. I I I was almost sure that he was wrong, but I just wanted to to double check. Uh. So I want you uh to like this. You mentioned the younger listeners, possibly, and you know to be younger listeners than than us. You probably were watching mostly the beginning of your fandom is probably around Attitude Era time frame. And so thus, maybe you don't understand how the pay-per-view universe worked. But I was doing, you know, in doing this, like I'm reading Dave sort of describe certain things. And so it led me to kind of dig a little bit deeper on how pay-per-view worked. And so I'm reading this thing and I'm trying to figure out like, Oh, like they actually have to call pay-per-view companies <laughs> to, to sell their show to say, hey, wh- whatever the cable company is in Boston. Hey, K- Boston Cable Company, we have this wrestling show in three months. Here's the split. Will you carry it on the one pay-per-view channel that exists on your service? And so uh, who's the salesman? Who's the person who's calling all these cable companies to get the clearance just to be able to show the show for people to be able to call in and buy the show for pay-per-view? Like you think about it today and you're like, oh, yeah, my direct TV remote. Boom. It's I just click a button and it's here. But you actually had to sell your wrestling show to the cable company to get them to even consider it was putting all- it on their thing. Yeah. And then also as a consumer, you had to call with enough time for them to, to beam the signal to your box. Yes. So, so, so it's not like you could just press the button and you're good to go. They actually had to beam the signal to your box, which took some time because they had to, they had to put that manually, you know? Um, uh, so Dave has a blurb on there, how like sometimes, uh, something happened and WWF would cut off orders, you know, maybe there was some sort of technical issue. Um, and so that was interesting, you know? So, um, so yeah, there was somebody that would do that. I don't know the name of this person, but it's a job that no longer exists. With yeah. Technology yeah. Being what it is. Um, so, uh, it, it was just so antiquated, but yet we accepted it. It was technology yeah. at the time. I remember when the interactive button first was introduced, in 1994, and it was a big deal because now if you had the interactive button, you just press it, and you're good to go. And Todd Pettingale would always promote it. <laughs> you, you, you could push that interactive button, you know, and being a carny, it was, it was, they, they wanted like that five-year-old kid who's watching to, to be charged 40 bucks, you know, to their parents' uh, cable bill. Exactly. So if you had that button, just press it there. But uh, yeah, it, it was a different time, and, and, and just even even the way it was measured because it, it wasn't buy rates it was a percentage yeah so w- the way it worked was that cable was hooked up to a certain percentage of the country 
And then depending on how many people bought it, that was the percentage that bought it, right? So you would get like a 2%. So 2% of the people that had access to cable around the country bought the pay-per-view or a 3% buy, you know? Later on, it became buy rates, you know, where it was like 800,000, you know, like the, the, what we know of today. Mm-hmm. Um, but before it was just the, the, the fraction of whatever was available around the country. So very interesting how it evolved as well. There's another note because Starcade is close to the holidays. And Dave wrote that some of the bigger markets they had to have people work that week just so they could turn on the pay-per-view for the consumers. <laughs> but in the smaller markets, if you did not order like a week in advance, you just missed the show because there was nobody at these companies to take your order because they're all on vacation for the holiday. So That's that means that if, I wanted, if I wanted to give Starcade to my uncle for Christmas – First of all, I guess I would just write him a little note, right? <laughs> like when he opened his gift, it would be a note that said, turn on the TV, and then Starkid would be on. But I would have to have called, Yeah. if I'm in a small market, you know, um, uh, I would have to call the operator because then he would have nothing. Yeah. And my gift would be a complete waste, you know? So it's <laughs> just so, so weird. Um, I remember as a side note, I remember that's how I got movie pass. They get so I got movie pass for Christmas one year. Uh-huh. And all I got was a little envelope and it said go on your email and log on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went on my, and there it is, movie pass. Like, oh shit, that's pretty cool. You know like, there is a new movie pass out there, right? Yeah, but that was such a fucking mess. The it doesn't time. work as it doesn't work as well as that old movie pass yeah. did, which was like it almost felt like we were stealing by having I loved that. It. And I, you know, I, for, I this is like the most movies I ever watched in like a three month span before they had to dial it back because they were losing so much money on it. Yes, uh, yes, that business model doesn't make sense then, and it doesn't make sense now. It's uh-uh. so weird. Um, what what happened was that they were relying. It was like a gym membership, right? They were relying on people to they were they were going to offset the cost of the cinephiles with the people that would get a membership and they would never go and then forget. But then everybody went. That yep. was the problem. And so that's where they lost all their money. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, so what happens is uh, on the NWA side is their Lex Luger lost. You can't run Luger back because of the, like you said, he's the baby face. He's sort of set up to win. He loses, and now he he's kind of lost some face, and you kind of have to rebuild him back up if you want to do that again. And lo and behold, he actually, he actually ends up turning heel later on in the year because he was completely he needed to be rebuilt big time. Lo and behold, the person who comes in as Ric Flair's next opponent is one of his old opponents, but also somebody who uh, just a couple of years ago had one of the biggest, uh, biggest, I, I would say, uh diehard wrestling matches that that you could have on such a big show at WrestleMania three, which is Ricky, the dragon steamboat. And he comes back to the NWA and he gets the immediate push to be the top guy there. There's no, there's no rankings here. He didn't have to have a 21 and one record to get a title shot on, on here, buddy. This is just about, this is about his bona fides. This is Ricky, the dragon, man. He doesn't have to stand in line. 
And uh, so that is the the next match. And so Dave has it's so crazy how the observer worked back then. Dave has it at least one or two issues before they do the actual taping of the match. He kind of has the idea of the whole thing already in there. And then they actually do the taping. And uh, Eddie Gilbert, who had just gotten beat up by Ric Flair and Barry Windham. Mm -hmm. Eddie Gilbert's like, hey, man, yeah, two against one. You guys got me two against two. I think we got you. I have a secret partner. And J.J. Dillon is like either you're smart, which I don't think so, or <laughs> you're stupid. Or I forgot exactly how I said it, but he's like, or you're well, stupid. Well, he was with Disney High for years, so I don't think he was that <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's like, uh, so we'll take the bet. And it turns out when they do the match, who shows up. And the way that they used to do that studio wrestling, it's not like there was like multi multiple cameras. So it's not like Eddie Gilbert's in the ring and then another camera shot to the entrance. All you see, well, what you do is you hear the music and Flair and Wyndham hear the music, but they're not reacting yet because they don't want to give it away. And so the dragon kind of rolls into the view and all you see is his back. Like, it's just so different. Was that uh, was that the Alan Parsons project, the Chicago yes. Bulls? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's how that's how Ricky comes in. And then in the match, he just pins Flair with a with the high cross off the top rope. And uh, and that sets but that up gets to the front of the line. So that that you, does get you to the front of the line. Maybe you, you, maybe if he didn't win that match, then he would have had to. Then he can min- get a promo on the booking team of 1989. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, I don't but I don't think Ted Turner was going to tweet at the USA network Twitter account and scream and yell about Jinder Mahal and hook and all no, no he, did, he didn't care. He didn't no. care. Um, so a couple of interesting points to bring up here. First of all, it's interesting to me that Ricky steamboat comes in just as dusty's leaving because dusty and Ricky never really got along. I think dusty always saw Barry Windham as his yep. guy as the Arab parent. So wherever, wherever Dusty went, he brought Barry with him, right? And 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 actually Magnum TA, he had, he had his stable of guys that he wanted to push. So in 84, when Dusty gets power for the first time in Mid-Atlantic as a booker, he, um, Ricky bails because Ricky saw his spot was gone. Yeah. You know, he was going to be replaced by Barry Windham and all these guys. Um, and, and then actually Barry comes from up north, AEWWF, and he comes to, to Mid-Atlantic. So um, so now that Dusty's on the way out, which hasn't really become official yet, um, Ricky Steamboat comes in. And to me, I mean, it's never been reported, but that could also be another reason why Dusty bailed. Because it's like, I don't even like this guy. Now they're pushing <laughs> um, and, and so And so he kind of saw the writing on the wall and he left. Um, but it was it was interesting because Ricky Steamboat kind of got a raw deal with Vince. You know, Vince, Vince, it's always been said that if you stand up to Vince, you get respect from Vince. And the and the pushovers, the more passive guys always get run over by Vince. And and Ricky Steamboat has always had a reputation. Uh, first of all, he's got a reputation of being a ladies' man, which you know, they've <laughs> said many times. But besides that, he's also he, he's also not a politician when it comes to in the wrestling business. So um, so what happened was that in '88 when he when he when he won the belt from or '87 when he beat Savage at WrestleMania three, you know he told Vince, "I gotta go home because I'm about to have a kid." Right. And Vince could, you know, Vince could have let, let him disappear for a couple months, you know, kind of like what we saw Gunther recently. Gunther got a month off. They didn't take mm-hmm. the title away from him. 
Um, and, and so Vince is like, okay, you got to drop it. We can't have uh, the champion miss dates, not even, not even a couple weeks. So, you know, Steamboat drops it, right? He drops it to, he, it was supposed to be Butch Reed, but they couldn't find them. <laughs> and then, um, and then they, they, Honky ends up getting it. And then he comes back and, and remember Wrestle, uh, WrestleMania 4, everybody was thinking Savage Steamboat rematch. Just yep. because of brackets. But no, uh, he does the job to Greg Valentine, and that's his last match. Yep. So again, he got kind of a raw deal. I think he was burned out, and he went and he he was with his son for about a year, and then now here in January of '89, he comes back, and he would he wouldn't this run also wouldn't last long. He would be gone. What by by late '89, he's gone again, right? I think so, something like that, if I remember correctly. He moves on to Luger at the end of the year. And then he's got a contract dispute, and then he bails, and then he ends up showing up as just the dragon, and the which we'll get to whenever we get to that year. But uh, but yeah, so so it's interesting how things are changing, right? We're seeing the change in both companies because another thing that I didn't bring up was the mass exodus in WWF as well from that '84 expansion. Like 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 the junk food dog is gone, Don Morocco's gone. You know, you see all these guys that are starting to leave that we grew up with. And we're starting to see kind of like the younger, like 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 the the beginning of giving some promotional push to the younger guys, like the Rockers and those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. So so it's interesting. Eighty nine is a very interesting year for a lot of reasons. Uh, and so you, we talked about Dusty. So he he's out as Booker uh, late eighty eight, and then he leaves. I, I think the contract is up anyways, and it's sort of like a. Well, I you know I don't even want to be here, so don't even worry about it. And I think they may even let him out like a, a little bit early. And he goes to Florida. And the the question is, who is he going to take with him? You mentioned Barry Windham. The there they were like, is he going to take Barry with him? Uh, is he going to take a Dirty Dick Slater? Is he going to take his kid? And is his kid going to go with him to Florida? So. No, not Cody. <laughs> Dustin. Cody's <laughs> like three years old at this point. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, that that is a story that we will follow because eventually what happens is he does come to uh, come to WWF. In, in July. Uh, he gets there in July of 89. So there, we, we have some time before we get there. But like you said, it was an interesting time. And how does Vince think that this dude is not going to get over when he gives him that theme song that well, is such a memorable theme song well i think vince wins either way right vince is humiliating him yeah and if he gets over well that's that's money in vince's pocket right so to him it's like i don't care if he get, if he gets it over then he gets it over is my my respects but at the end of the day this fucking guy he he you know he outbooked me in a lot of ways in a lot of cities so this is this is my receipt for that you know and and it, it just Throughout the years, people have tried to justify it. People have tried to like, like Bruce Prichard has tried to deny it. Um, but it's it's obvious. It's obvious that that was a big fuck you to him, you know. And just it was it was just it, he just mocked them. He mocked the character of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I mean, he had him go into the toilet and try to pull out some feces yeah, so out of the he, toilet. So yeah. And he booked it with Honky in the beginning. Honky was kind of like a under under mid card kind of guy, you know. Um, the only really serious feud that he had, what I would consider like an NWA feud, was with Ted DiBiase. 
and he dropped them out to him. He never won any match in that feud. But that was a really like true to life feud. I like that feud. It's very un WWF like at the that. Du- the Dustin stuff is awesome in that feud. Yeah. Yeah, the Sapphire stuff, the Dustin stuff. And then I don't know, I don't know if Dusty stopped giving a fuck, but I don't know if you noticed during that time, he went back to like the NWA gear. Like he stopped wearing the polka dots. He didn't give a fuck. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know. I don't know if Vince was like, I'm gonna fire you anyway. <laughs> so so maybe there were just the two alpha males going back and forth, you know, like 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 just playing a game of chicken with each other. Um, but but I think it's cool. I I I, I like that era of Dusty because we got to see him wrestle the Undertaker at Survivor Series, you know, and that to me that's like kind of like the passing of the torch. Yeah. Um. And and it, it was we got some good matches out of him during that time. One thing that Dave notes is that with Dusty now gone, we don't have to worry about the Bunkhouse Stampede anymore because they were doing the matches to get to the D- Bunkhouse Stampede, and I think the finals of the Bunkhouse Stampede were going to be at that Chi Town Rumble. Yeah, pay-per-view, but now that Dusty's gone, they just forget about it. They didn't even promote it anymore. No, um, Dave, Dave was writing about going to an Oakland show where they had the Bunkhouse Stampede, and he was just like, these guys absolutely don't care. about like It's <laughs> just the laziest thing you've ever seen. But then again, Dave was really hard on anything lazy back then so and he and he really he really rode dusty hard during this time like really bad which is so interesting as to why when aew was getting off the ground that he had the relationship that he did with cody now as happens in wrestling is sometimes these guys will get close to dave because he's got great business sense he's got all of the history and he's a good confidant for uh for advice and for information and then they give him stuff as well and then you know cody obviously now in in wwe he can't really be in contact with dave as much but uh, you know it's just one of those things anymore (laughs) i i I mean he may they may chit chat every once in a while but i i mean i know for a fact that you know that that they don't talk nearly as much as they Mm -hmm. as they were before but um yeah just the idea that because dave was you know, Dave was really hard on Dusty, and I'm sure Cody has read a lot of those observers. So, because he's a he's a student of the business as well, and but yeah, kind of kind I of think, interesting. But I think you know, having an open mind and, and taking emotions out of it, I think if if Cody really understands the business, and I know he does, he's a big student of the business. He understands why Dave was very frustrated because Dusty was still pushing himself as a top guy at like 45 years old and yeah. being way out of shape. So, so I think it wasn't personal. And I think when you have these kind of conversations, um, you, you find a common ground. You know, it's like, this is why I felt this way. And as a reporter, you got to cover the, the facts with the, how you see them, right? And it's like, Dusty was hurting business, you know? So it's like, I have to cover why and how he's hurting business. And you add to the fact that Dave was a very young guy during this time. You know, there's a sense of humor in that as well, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so I think hopefully Cody did have an open mind when it came to that, and he understood. I mean, yeah, it's it's you. You're not 45 years old, overweight, and past your prime, and still pushing yourself as a top guy. So, as we get to the end of January, we get the very first pay per view. Actually, this is mid January, uh, January 15th. The very first pay per view version of the Royal Rumble. And do you did you ever watch the first one on the USA channel? 
I didn't know you said because you didn't have cable back then. Yeah. I didn't watch it live. I watched it years later. But that was horrible, though. It's, it, it's... That show was kind of insane for me because they did the Hogan and Andre angle. And like you said, I'm used to USA being the home of primetime wrestling, and they never did any angles on primetime wrestling. So I'm thinking USA Channel is just going to be a wrestling show. And they're actually doing angles, and Hogan is actually on this show. He was never on primetime wrestling. So my mind was going crazy at that point watching the Royal Rumble. But you'll get a kick out of this. My USA Network uh, on my cable box was never crystal clear. There was always like this weird line, squiggly line running down like the right side of the picture. You were trying to stick into the Spice Channel, were you? (laughs) Well, they didn't have the Spice Channel back at this point. (laughs) But um, the so what happens is I watch, you know, I taped that show. I probably watched it, you know, once a month or whatever for the longest, you know, for a while. And uh, like you said, not a great show. But when I finally got the WWE Network, and I put this show on, the audio was so clear and the picture was so clear, I couldn't watch it because it wasn't the it wasn't the version that I remembered and I had to turn it off. I'm like, no, where's the squiggly line down the right side of the thing? The picture's too clear. This is like an actual like the I I, I lost the uh sort of the uh memory of it, like the the legend of that show for me. So I couldn't I could never watch it. But uh, so the that that show goes head to head with the very first Bunkhouse Stampede in 1988. That's that's Crockett's first pay per view or second pay per view after they screwed up. They screwed him for Starcade the 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 winter before that. Right, right. So yeah. they're run, the re, only reason the Royal Rumble happens is because they want to sabotage this uh, Bunkhouse Stampede pay per view as well. They so much so they had no idea what the show was. I swear to God, in the build up to this, Gorilla Monsoon kept calling it the the Rumble Royale. That was like the original the name. Time. Yeah, and so then it's the Royal Rumble. So now a year later, they do it on pay per view. There were no stakes yet in the Royal Rumble. You, you just had this battle royal for that almost wasn't even for nothing. a winner's purse, which is sacrilege. They should have. Twenty thousand dollar, and they should have it in a big old bag, like like you know, with the with the money sign on it. Yeah, and it was like it was a whole lot of nothing. That match, I mean, the match was okay for what it was. The first big, half was a lot better than the second half for sure. Big John Stud, who was not even really doing anything yet, and he he wasn't even going to have a match at WrestleMania. He's going to be the referee of Jake the Snake and Andre the Giant. Well, they changed that they changed that because he was already shot by that point. Yeah. So, it's just so weird that that's the choice to win the match. Like you could have picked a handful of guys who would have been better winners than Big John Studd in 1989. Um, well, I'm thinking who was I think we're for, they had plans for John Studd. It's just that he couldn't do anything. I don't think Vince understood that he saw him work. I think they wanted John Studd to do like the B towns, you know, um, and and he just he couldn't. Um, so that was the that was the the point is, was to get him over. Um, but yeah, no, that that show um, had some good and some bad on it, right? Like I said, the first half of that Rumble was re- very very good. The second half not so much. I think once they shot the because they shot another another phase of the Mega Powers explode angle on that yes. show. Yes, um, in the Royal Rumble together, Hogan dumped Savage out. 
even though he's trying to get bad news Brown out, but still Hogan is tr- he's, he wants to win. So he, you know, he, he wants us to believe that maybe Savage was just an accomplice to, to going out with bad news, but Savage knows. And yeah, they go, they go nose to nose, man, finger pointing. And then Somebody as about the clock, I think, I think that angle is about three minutes before anybody else comes down. So, well, I thought the guy still came out too early because they're still trying to do the handshake. And like, I think it's the boss man's like circling the ring, like we're waiting to come in. You know, one thing that always bothered me about that show is like, Ted DiBiase is upset at the number that that he drew, and he switches with one of the Twin Towers, but they also come in late. So his yeah, number- they're they're like seventeen and eighteen or something like that. Yeah, so so it's like it doesn't make sense because those numbers weren't that bad either. But I guess Ted DiBiase just really wanted number thirty. That was just that was his thing. Yeah. So I feel like in kayfabe land, he was gonna go look for the guy that had thirty regardless. No, because he yeah, because he comes in at thirty, right? That's his number. DiBiase, yes. Yes. So that means that he had like 17 or 18. and one 20, of the- uh, 22 and 23. I just looked it up. Okay. So he, see, I see those are good numbers. <laughs> and, and, and he switched with, so that means that Akeem or Bossman had 30 and he, he, he bought the, that number from them. Yeah. So, um, but I, I feel like in, in, in the K world, he was going to look for the guy that had 30 anyway, and he was going to kick him down with some money, you know? Well, if you're slick, and this is this is what we would do when we were kids, by the way. Because if something didn't make sense, you would yes. talk it would into sense. If you're slick, and like let's say Akeem had thirty, and he's like, "Well, why did you trade with me?" And you're like, "No, I want you guys to be back to back because the strong you stronger, you dominate the ring." And then number thirty comes out, and you double team him, you toss him out, and you guys, you know, both win the yes. match. Or something that's how you talk him into it. Okay, so Hogan in this match. Mm-hmm. gets double teamed gets thrown out and then he played the uh heelish spoiled baby face and yes. he pulls the big boss man over the top rope and this is where gorilla is and, trying and, to protect him yes and, and jesse and is not-, not having it absolutely not having it Amazing. but I, but but it makes me laugh because jesse being jesse he wasn't gonna keep K Fave on this shit. So, <laughs> so, so, so he keeps on poking at Gorilla because the job of the commentators is to, is, is to tell the K Fave story. So yeah, so Jesse could be heelish, right? But then you move on, and so Gino's like he's trying to move on, and Jesse keeps on coming back to that, and it's almost like you could tell that Gorilla wanted to press pause on all this fucking <laughs> shit and just say, "Get with the fucking show, dude!" Like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> But but yeah, but Jesse's always great at these little moments when Gorilla has to protect Hogan when Hogan's a heel and he just completely exposes them. Um, so yeah, now another cool thing is Bossman's bump taking. Bossman, that that guy knew how to take some bumps, man. Because for a big guy, he takes like a three sixty over the top rope. Um, it, it wasn't like the Sid Vicious like like ninety two where it was like a little like he just pulled them out and he yeah, gently yeah. over the top. This was like he pulled the rope down and Bossman did a whole like endo over the top and landed on the. That was a cool bump. Um, no, I love that story because again, the Twin Towers have been part of that story. Yeah. So just the fact that they're there and they're still a part of it, and then the house show program was Bossman and Hogan. So. Yes. Um, and I love also how you had Bad News Brown and Savage, which was also the house show program as well. Yeah. Yeah. Little things like that for, for the for the hardcore fans. You know, it's, it's always nice to see. Um, 
Another thing is, how about how the, the ridiculous elimination of the Brain Busters, where they're on one end of the ring, and Hogan <laughs> extends his arms like this, and, and, and he clotheslines them, and he walks a good 10 feet to the <laughs> other side with them going backwards, and then they do a backflip. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> what a well, ridiculous... You also got the Warlord being in for what, a second? Yes. No, yeah, it's about us. Yeah, because Santino ended up beating him. So I think Santino yeah. had the, the fastest elimination. Well, that's not the best one, though. The best one, I don't know what year this was, but one of the Bushwhackers. That was 91. Yeah, one of the Bushwhackers. Doing the Bushwhacker walk to the ring, gets thrown out immediately, and then Bushwhack walks to the, to yes. back to the, yeah. the dressing room. Um, um, so so the uh, the other matches on this, now, this is something that I did not know. And how would I really? But originally, Jim Duggan and the Hart Foundation versus Dino Bravo and the Fabulous Rujos, which was the opener, the, the pay-per-view opener. Supposedly, this was supposed to be a flag match. Mm-hmm. Hacksaw yes. and the two Cana- the one Canadian is going to be on Team USA. Is that what we were doing? That, that's, what I, that's what I guess they just forgot about it because they realized it. Remember, Hacksaw was the one that was at WrestleMania 6 asking for USA chance and uh and and they were in Canada they were at the Sky Dome <laughs> yeah. you know and Jesse buried them for that <laughs> um so so yeah no that didn't make any sense you know and and it was just um they didn't they didn't really use that stipulation anyway but that was a good little match though it was a good match two out of three falls uh baby faces win they open up the pay-per-view so I always love looking at the dark matches because you're, you're thinking like, oh, man, you know, this crowd is, you know, waiting for some stuff. And what do you kind of get on the undercard to just get them, you know, get them loose? And Jim Powers against Barry Horowitz was the first match. And Sam Houston versus Steve Lombardi was yeah. the second match. Now, as wrestlers, as house show wrestlers, those guys were awesome for what they did. Sam Houston uh, from, the, from the area. So I'm yes. sure he's Tom Pop. Sam Houston definitely. Uh Houston, like there was uh, there was like uh, I think Dave said like I don't know, eighteen thousand people in that building or something. Yeah, he, I used to like the summit. Does with those lights? I used to love seeing the, the shows from the summit. I went to the summit once. What the hell? And it was for <laughs> uh the Houston, so WrestleMania twenty-five, they had the Hall of Fame at the summit. So that's when I that's when I would have gone. So that was still open. There? It was in the Toyota Center, or maybe it was, but it wasn't called the Summit anymore. Yes, I okay. believe that was at the Summit. So, uh, okay. So then, as we get to the end of this month, um, actually, you know, just one more thing about this show, and something that I get a kick out of is they do this pose down with Warrior and Rick Rude, and as we know. Dave Meltzer, big fan of bodybuilding and in, in just in general. And so we were always thought, you know, the, the way that Rick Rude was pushed to us was that he had this fantastic physique. But the way that Dave described it to us in, in the observers was that he was far too skinny to be any sort of impressive in a, in a pose down contest. He keeps calling Rick Rude. Rick the stick. And if you read some of those issues, he's kind of making fun of rude for even going to WWF saying like, dude, you better like start putting on some pounds because you're too skinny. 
And uh, so obviously Warrior is, uh, he calls Warrior a freak in, in this thing. But I just thought, like Rick Rude, I'm thinking Rick Rude. I'm like, man, this dude's pretty buffed out. But to Dave, he was like a skinny guy. What's going on? Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I don't know. That's, that's Dave was pretty jacked at this time, too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably happening. Okay, so before we get to the last bit of news, I have a, a little surprise for you. Okay. Uh, so I had the opportunity to interview the uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, and this was during uh, his Woo Energy thing with him and AEW. And I asked him, and I, I thought of you when I asked this question, which was about Royal Rumble '92. You are a Royal Rumble. 92 aficionado to the point of where you have memorized all of the entries and eliminations to that match. And I'm like, I got flair here. I got to, I want to ask him about this match. And so I thought like, Oh, you know, what would some of my friends want to know about this match? So I'm going to play. It's about a two minute clip. And uh, this is me talking to, uh, to nature boy, Ric Flair with Dave and, and flair's business partner. I'll play that right now. Okay. I have to ask this because people my age uh, and with my fandom would probably get mad at me if I didn't. But 1991, when you leave WCW to go mm-hmm. to, to WWF, mm-hmm. that, right at that point was really where I started to understand that there were people like Dave who covered the business, the mm-hmm. national, when he was in the newspapers and such. And there were I was able to get access to information. So I had heard that that you were leaving and all of a sudden I'm the most popular person at school for the wrestling fans because I know this information that is kind of happening on the screen. And uh, I'm sure there were sort of ups and downs with how you were brought in. Uh, The Hogan uh, program never made its way to, to WrestleMania. But I feel like the Royal Rumble is still so iconic because of that 1992 performance, like people look oh, yeah. forward to the Royal Rumble in January so much so because that was kind of the one, even though there had been like three or four previous ones, that's the one that put the Royal Rumble on the map. Like when, when you're in that match, did you feel like this was going to be this historically significant performance? No. What made it, what I keep telling people today is, what made it was look at the components. The guy. Basically, everybody, and we're talking about legitimate Hall of Famers, not some of these. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how some of them are getting the Hall of Fame now. I I just don't have any clue. I no. mean, I, the, the induction process, it it just we've gotten so diluted. I don't, and I know that they have to induct someone every year, but I mean. It used to be like a special deal. And if you look at that match, I mean, from Davy Boy Smith to, to Brett to The Undertaker, I mean, look, it's a Hall of Fame. And that's what I think made it so. Um, Jake, uh, DiBiase, I mean, everybody was in it. So And, and Heenan's call of it. And, he, and Heenan's call. I mean, one of my best friends. And I. All right. I think. Uh... I think Draven is fixing uh, fixing his phone with uh, the there was the the beeping noise, so we'll wait for for Draven to come in. But I'll just explain uh, why I, I played that clip. So, like I said, Draven is such a fan of that match. Um, he is. Uh, I was just explaining why I why I I grabbed that clip because 
you know, really, like we were saying in 89, the Royal Rumble is not really the Royal Rumble. And it doesn't become the Royal Rumble until 92 with Flair. So if people go, oh, like, why are we so excited about the Royal Rumble today? It is because of that match. So that's yes. why I asked it, and that's why I won. No, no, that was cool. Yeah. I was marking out right there. Um, it's just amazing that you got to actually talk to him about that match. And he's pretty, like, he's got some good insights. Like, I think he's like, look at the, look at the talent that, yeah. that we had for that match. And I think one of the things that goes to notice is, is the storytelling that was specifically tailored towards the hardcore fan. You know, like, like I'll never forget, like, Kerry having, you know, going going toe-to-toe with him, Greg Valentine, Roddy Piper, all, all these guys that he had history with before the WWF, you know? So, um, so no, it, it was, yeah, the, the Royal Rumble match itself, that's when, that's when it became the match, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that was 31 years ago at this 32 now, which is why it's weird. Um, well, yeah, so that's the match that, that, that has never lost its luster. Mm-hmm. Every fucking, like every match, the cage match, um, even how in the cell elimination chamber, they're all like, whatever now. Right. But the Royal rumble and in part, because they've really protected that gimmick. Like you'll never see a Royal rumble on Monday night raw. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. There was you know, one. They did the do Russo, one <laughs> uh, in the Russo it, era. Yeah, was it like '99 or something, right? Yeah, the tag team one. Yeah, where it um, was like every 30 seconds. It was it was Russo. Like, what do you expect? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, yeah, you're right. Uh, he really brought the Rumble to prominence in in that '92 match, and then, but the '89 one, they tried to get some early tropes over, like Axon's match drew one and two. Yes, right. And we found out why they never feuded because that was a horrible two minutes. <laughs> um, and then um, they the the only thing about that is that it's still very much heel pairs up with face and face pairs up with heel. That whole every man for themselves thing would start into the following year. And and Hogan essentially clearing the ring when he gets in, like he's the big the big guy who comes in and everybody just bumps out because he's the hero or whatever. Uh, he didn't have as many eliminations as uh, Diesel or, or or Kane, but uh, he did get a few there. Uh, so I uh, I want to we'll end with a couple of different things here. But as we get to the end, this is January thirtieth issue of the Wrestling Observer newsletter. So Dave is kind of hinting mm-hmm. in the prior weeks that WCW or NWA will have a new Booker, and he's like, it's not anyone who you think and so i was trying to think who does he think people are thinking at that time i'm guessing bill watts people would have thought yes bill watts one of them maybe um, so hard because he has he has stampede at this point but i think his kids are running it at this point yeah i don't know if he thought maybe flair himself gets the thing or jerry jarrett jerry okay. jarrett yeah jerry jarrett would definitely be one and then he says it is George Scott, and he goes on to write about George Scott's career. And George Scott's career, not George least, Scott. That's a that's a great <laughs> actor. As far George as I Scott. as far as I knew, George Scott, he was the Booker when Vince went national. Yes, but then he didn't get along with Hogan or something, and Hogan had him fired. And that's all that I really remembered of George Scott. So Dave wrote a couple of other things about George Scott. And when you read the background of George Scott, you're like, well, why did they hire this dude? Because I, I don't think he lasts very long in this spot. But, yeah, it's kind of like, why is he the guy who's who becomes the booker? 
Yeah, I think I think it was the the classic guys, you know, using Carney to kind of work themselves into jobs. I mean, we saw. I'm, we're gonna ask ourselves that about Vince Russo in the next. We have, we're already asking ourselves. <laughs> that. We're asking ourselves that when it was happening. Yeah. But uh, but some of these some of these hires, I think it's more people get a little bit of a reputation, and then they work that reputation to get more jobs. Because um, yeah, no, George Scott was an interesting case. He was the one that didn't wanna promote. The, the the New Orleans clash yes because he wanted to save it for the house shows very yes. weird yes you it was really weird. old like almost like you're like okay you the the business has passed you on already like this yes is, that's what told them that and unfortunately Bill Watts was the same way when he came in in ninety two as well yes um and and what happened in eighty seven was that I think there was some sort of disputed he didn't want Hogan at WrestleMania three. Or he wanted, maybe he wanted Hogan and Orndorff. Um, and so Hogan's like, no, we got to go with the biggest match. Yeah. And and George Scott got the boot from there. But then, it, but he was, he didn't even get along with Vince. So this guy was always kind of like, like the crotchety old guy, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think he even got along with his brother, which I think Dave writes about how like Sammy yeah. Scott and him were estranged. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, they were like, they were feuding over stuff that they, we're competing with each other against. Okay, so um, we'll get into this much more on the next show. But Dave writes in the in the first issue of February, he's like, you know, you you think about feuds and you think about what's going to set the feud off. What are the craziest feuds? You think Hogan and Savage, Flair and Steamboat? No, the biggest feud of ninety of eighty nine is going to be Turner versus McMahon. And the reason he wrote that is because Vince McMahon and wants to basically sabotage of course he wants to sabotage uh ted turner he was going to run a msg house show mm-hmm. live on the usa network heads up against the shy town rumble yes. and what what the reason why they didn't do that is because turner basically called his bluff and turner explained he was going to use his power to clear all the cable companies, and they were going to run a pay-per-view against WrestleMania, and he was going to use that stroke, and Vince was going to get the lesser amount of households available. And so I think that's why they pulled out, and they and, then, and Vince said, okay, we're not going to run this, uh, this, this MSG show. So this, uh, you know, this, the, 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 I think they do run... Uh, they run a clash against that WrestleMania, I believe. Uh, right. Anyway. Well, so, well, no, I, from what I understand, I think the cable companies were the ones that came in there and just like, you know, enough of like, like this. Yeah, quit, the, quit the bickering. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're the ones that put the kibosh on it um, because they were both going to just seem like they were just going to destroy each other. Yeah. Until, you know, both crumble down. So, so it was more like, like the cable companies, like we're the ones that are also losing money in this. You know, um, so there were the ones that that kind of established that rule of like you cannot compete with each other with these television shows. Um, but there was all kinds of dirty tactics that Vince McMahon would do. He's still doing to this day, you know, with <laughs> with AEW. Um, I, actually, I don't know anymore <coughs> because you know Paul's running the company now. Yeah. So. Yeah, actually, Saudi Arabia <laughs> calling uh, Vince's bluff in a sense because Vince. Uh, got UFC a deal to run uh, a UFC show in Saudi Arabia. 
And Saudi Arabia was presented with the card, and they're like, "Nope, you're not giving us this crappy card. You better give yeah. us another card." <laughs> that's right. They put, they they postponed it to July, right, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. That's, that's the plan. All right. I have a couple of quick nuggets that I just I I just find hilarious before we get out of here. Uh, and and uh, I'm just gonna read from what Dave wrote. King Haku was found guilty on two of three charges in connection with biting the nose off of somebody in a bar fight a few months back. How do you bite the nose off? You just you you just bite it and pull. <laughs> can you actually get through nose cartilage with teeth? Haku uh, can. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, the uh, here here's a good one, and it's a little time not not really timely, but the the Von Erics are, are timely right now. Mm-hmm. Kevin Von Erich no showed the first two dates of a three day tour, even though he took a flight to Chicago. And on the third night, insisted on wrestling in the second match, even though his match was billed as the main event because he had rearranged to go home on an early flight. So this he dude gets booked. He didn't give a fuck by this. <laughs> this dude gets booked on three shows. No shows the first two is in the main event of the third and asks to be on early so he can go home early. Man. Maybe maybe that's one of the cut scenes that's going to be the Blu-ray <laughs> On the Iron or Claw. Or the Iron Claw. <laughs> um, okay. But but going back to King Haku, um, yeah. uh, so you you hear all these stories, right? And you're like, they're they, they can't be true. This is wrestling lore. But then you hear somebody with the credibility of Dave reporting that this guy actually bit a guy's nose off, and it's like it has to be true. At least some of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was uh, a the, savage pull, pulling out the eyeball and stuff like that. Yeah, from Jimmy Jack Funk. All right, la- last one. Uh, one uh, January twenty first at the Oakland Coliseum Arena drew ten thousand eighty five hundred paid as the Red Rooster, and he would always parentheses the the names of the guys. I love Ter- it when he says that. Except, Terry- except except when um he one time me and me and Danny would get a kick out of this one. He would write Flash Funk, and then in parentheses he would put Two Cold Scorpio. <laughs> yeah. Like like I never understood that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Ter- uh, Red Rooster Terry Taylor pinned Bor Us Zukov <laughs> with a gi- gigantic head, and then uh, he he also had a note about the Blue Blazer, obviously Owen Hart, and then in parentheses or as the Philadelphia newspaper called him last week, the Blue Sports Coat. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I don't know about that one. Uh, Dave all right, the dad jokes. Exactly. So next, the next time we do this, uh, the mega powers are going to explode, and that's going to be a, a really big uh, story. Miss Elizabeth takes the best bump a woman has ever taken in, in the business. The the, the the whole thing is amazing. Uh, the uh, even to the point of where they they, they the forget they're, they're, they think they're still in commercial. Yeah, the camera comes on a little too soon for them. Uh, there's going to be the uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre Clash of Champions. Then there will be the Chi-Town Rumble and more of this Turner and Vince story. So we'll hit all of that. Now, as you're reading through January, is there anything that you had questions about for Dave that I could ping him about that we need to be answered for the next show? No, I was just very nostalgic. I, it, it's just it's just another time. You know, I, I, I love how back then it was all handshake deals still because he does the rundown of all the guys that are about to start on NWA television, 
and it's like so and so's coming in on this day, so and so, and it was all just a very like hand to mouth business still, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was just so weird, because because all these guys would just come in and they would get pissed off and they would take off, and it, it was just it, it's like it's like they've always said like this, this that wrestling business was made for people that never wanted to grow up. Yeah, you know, and 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 it's like they, I cannot see any of these people holding like a nine to five job. They just couldn't, you know, they wouldn't make it a day. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so we have wrapped up January of nineteen eighty nine. Next month, we will talk about the month of February, uh, based on the Wrestling Observer. I got some stuff to watch. I haven't watched that main event angle with Hogan and Savage in quite some time. That'll be fun. And the Shytown town rumble. I don't even know if I've seen that show all the way through before. So that'll yeah, be, it's not that good, but that'll be the a main trip event is to go. classic. Yeah. The main event is, is, is a classic. So, and then we'll be back and we'll, we'll do this again. So the way that this works is Draven and I, we go live. And so this will always be in the archive on the fight game media, YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and, and click the like button. Uh, on this show and then it'll also be as a bonus show on the podcast feed so the audio of this will be on the uh, podcast feed as a bonus show on the weekend so it'll it'll be in the feed but it won't be on until until uh saturday so all right man all right thank you for having me and we'll see you next month yeah thanks for jumping on so for draven i am double g we will see you when we see you peace out Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.